Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to the real-life Dave from The Bank of Dave on Netflix, all about a Burnley businessman who set up his own bank. I chat to the director of the new Irish horror comedy, Let the Wrong One In. Plus, we review Damien Chazelle's new Hollywood epic, Babylon. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and the back of January is broken and all that stuff. Blue Monday, which is a load of pseudoscience nonsense, I think, uh, originally developed by a travel company about the third Monday in January. Uh, Maybe there's some truth in it because it is, Monday was, you know, the midpoint of January and people were straining under various things. Uh, I'm doing dry January as I do most years. Uh, It's fine. I'm enjoying it. I was actually thinking of doing a second month of it just for you know, giggles uh, to February. The only problem is there's a Merseyside derby in February. And uh, as an Everton fan, I'm not sure if I could do that sober. In fact, you're thinking of putting that on the tickets going into Goodison Park, you know, must contain alcohol. But anyway, well, it was a good week again for Irish cinema with BAFTA nominations. The Banshees of Inish Aaron got lots of nods. But also on Colleen Kewen got nominated for film not in the English language and best adapted screenplay, which is great. What I'm really excited about, though, is for its possible Oscar nomination this Tuesday when they're out to see if it'll be narrowed down. It's from 15 to 5, I think it is, uh, for best uh, film, best international film. They don't call it best foreign film anymore. So I'm really hopeful for that. I would love to see on Colin Kewen be nominated for an Oscar and, uh, it's long listed, but will it be shortlisted? Let's hope. And it's still in cinemas all over the place. So I've told you many times, you're tired of hearing me saying it, but if you haven't seen it, please do go and see it. Now in TV this week, I was watching this. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world. So you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. You're cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I'm taking you with me. Do what I say when I say it. You got any advice on the best way west? Yeah, go east. Yes, now that is a clip from The Last of Us. This is on Sky Atlantic. It was from HBO in the States. It's their big prestige show of the year. People are already talking about it being the show of the year. Seems a bit early to say that. It's based on a video game called The Last of Us. Now, there hasn't been a particularly successful hit rate of video games being turned into TV shows. I know nothing about the video game. Apparently, it's a great video game. So this is 
set in kind of a post-apocalyptic world where there's no kind of about it. It's a very post-apocalyptic world where a fungus has come and infected people and it basically turns them into zombies. And the great Pedro Pascal, we see him 20 years before the main action when the virus first comes. It's the day of his birthday. And then 20 years later, after all hell has broken loose and the world is now divided into into zombies and non-zombies and freedom fighters from the supposed strict government, Pedro Pascal has a young lady called Ellie who comes into his stewardom, let's say, uh, Bella Ramsey. And the two of them are going to go on this quest across this ravaged America uh, because she possibly contains the antidote. Now, I only watched one episode of this. I think I was sent a few of them, but I had to go to the cinema a few times this week. This is very good. I mean, the, the premise sounds like that's not that original, you know, a post-apocalyptic zombie world. But I think they've put a lot of money behind this. Uh, it's from the creators of Chernobyl. When I talk about it being post-apocalyptic, it's so well done. The action begins in Boston. Well, it starts in Austin, but then 20 years later, after all hell breaks loose, it's in Boston. And just the devastation is very well created. Uh, the acting is superb. It looks brilliant. Uh, There's a good bit of human drama in it. Pedro Pascal's character is dealing with some tragedy. I won't get into spoil it for you in case you haven't seen it. So it's very good so far. As I said, I've only watched one. The first episode was an hour and 25 minutes long, like nearly the length of a movie. I think there's seven more episodes or something like that. And they're all quite long, but so far so good. The Last of Us, I'll definitely be watching more of this one. It is on Sky Atlantic on Monday nights. It's there on your Sky Planner thingy if you want to watch it. Let me know if you might have been watching it. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Now, the big cinema release of the week is Babylon, uh, a sprawling epic, we'll find out if that's a good thing or a bad thing, which of course stars Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, amongst others. I actually didn't get to see it, for reasons I won't bore you with. However, Hilary Wright, the film critic with the Sunday Independent, did, and I'm delighted to say he joins me now. Hilary, Hilary, hello. Hello, how are you? And this is your virgin appearance on screen time, so thank you. It is indeed. I I, I was told you'd sooner or later get to me. Yeah, you know, we were... Everyone was out. I'm joking. I'm joking. So listen, Damien Chazelle, I should say, who gave us La La Land and all sorts of other things, he knows how to make an epic. What's going on in this one? So um, we are in 1926. We're in pre-code, pre-talky Hollywood. By pre-code, just for less informed listeners than you or I, pre-code you mean? So this is before um, a set of standards were brought in sort of to do with, um, you know, lewd imagery, yes. violence, uh, sexual content. Uh, and before that, it was it was a bit of a Wild West, the uh, the film industry. Yeah. And that's very much kind of the atmosphere that Chazelle is trying to portray here. It's very loose. It's very devil may care. We open with a gigantic orgy in the home of a, of a studio executive, played okay. by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. It's wow. one of many cameos in this film. Um, and uh, very much the tone is we're back in ancient Rome, only it's it's young, beautiful film stars. Okay. It's whatever you're, you're having yourself. Um, there's even a sort of fatty Arbuckle style scandal at the very start of it where... Okay. Uh, um, so it, you, you very much hit the ground running with this film. 
Chazelle, as you know, is a director who has had a lot of success in in, in a very short amount of time yeah. with films like Whiplash and La La Land and yeah. and even First Man. Um, so I think when he said that he was going back to the golden age of Hollywood, he was going to do something very nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think anyone was going to stand in his way, given how bankable he is now. I mean, he's in the pantheon of, of filmmakers. Yeah. Um, this film tries to be a few things and in my opinion doesn't quite do all of them so well it does some of them slightly well okay uh, we'll get to what mm. you thought about it but just I presume there's more to it than that though are there are there principles like Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie trying to make it in Hollywood or yes so uh, we are we see things through the eyes of a young Mexican immigrant called Manny mm-hmm. played by Diego Calva who was in Narcos Mexico he yeah. he is sort of um kind of a you know a runner for the uh, for this party which is happening he's trying to deliver an elephant to it in the opening scene and <laughs> there's there's quite a bit of scatological chaos and okay, um, okay. Uh, so he is um, he is at the party he's trying to sort of organize things in the background into the party waltzes Margot Robbie, who is a young up-and-coming Jersey actress who wants to make a splash in the film industry like a lot of people did yeah. back then. They all just came hoping to, to find gold in the hills. Um, also who comes coming through the door is um, Jack Conrad, who is a sort of Clark Gable-style suave leading man played by Brad Pitt. And the whole thing is that uh, the following day, uh, all three of them, uh, Manny as a runner for the studio, Jack as a leading man in a medieval epic, and uh, Nelly um, as a as a girl who's trying to break into Hollywood. They're all on this gigantic set the next mm. day, and it's it's pre-talky, so it's really wild. There's a set for this happening here. There's everyone screaming and shouting. It's it's all just madness. But uh, as we sort of pan back, we see that Hollywood is changing, and a rival studio, uh, MGM, they have discovered this thing called sound. Ah, okay. And the whole landscape is about to change. So it's about how these characters adapt to that to that massive, right. you know. And that's a trope like that was in shift, the yeah. last out Nabby movie. Uh, it was in Monsoon not not oh, Monsoon so, when it was it's singing, been a, singing in the rain. Yeah, um, it, it's, you know, it's the, been the, a um, the the artist the that's right. Michelle has yeah. this film. Now not that that's a problem. So we have Damien Chazelle as we said who gave us La La Land and stuff making a movie about the Babylon-esque days of early Hollywood. Sounds intriguing. So what worked and what didn't work for you? I think on a technical level, there's a lot that's really incredible about right. this and it certainly seems to be the area that it's being focused on yeah. in terms of the awards. I think he's just, he's trying to do too much with, with what's going on. There yeah. is, it's, it's a very long film. It's, it's three hours plus this film, yeah. which, is, which is really too long for any film to justify Absolutely. For, from, from you. your time. Um, there is a love story between Manny and Nelly which is kind of tacked on at the very end. It's sort of it, it's it's hinted at through the whole thing, but it, not enough groundwork is done to yeah. to justify the payoff in in the in the in the the third act, which I is quite nonsensical. I mean, okay. the, the 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 closing seconds of it are um, are particularly overcooked. So a very poor plot then, by the sounds of things. Yeah, I th- I think I think there's there's something beneath the surface of it that that could have worked there there are stories here about you know a, a complete sea change occurring within hollywood there yeah. are stories about underrepresented people finally okay. getting bite of the apple uh, so to speak um there's also stories about you know the uh, the, the the scandal and the the promiscuity 
being ult- ultimately a sickness yeah. at, at the heart of and it. And are there Me Too-isms in it as well? I would say possibly not enough. Okay, even. I, okay. I, you know, right. I don't we, mean to laugh. But well, sure, but we, we know that, you know, back then it was yeah. quite a, right. a, a lawless place and very exploitative and and maybe he sort of sanitises yeah. that side of things a, a little bit too much. Um, I, I think, he, as I said, he's a, he's a director who had a huge amount of success in a short space of time and it's quite it's quite a self-indulgent film okay. and I think he's possibly just allowed to kind of go wherever he wanted with it you know be as excessive as he wants to be because he gave us La La with, I, think it's, yeah. I mean it's, it's kind of a film where it's about you know very young talented people being you know losing the run themselves both sides of the camera you know, he's only 37 Damien Chazelle wow is that yeah, all yeah. okay well he, he's allowed a few missteps tell me this though Brad Pitt what was fascinated you know he's he's from where he started out there's a huge amount of respect for him as an actor now I thought once upon a time in Hollywood he was just absolutely brilliant it changed my whole view of him to be honest how is he in this Do I, I kind of have a funny opinion about Brad Pitt I think I think I admire him because he sort of transcended his limitations yes, as, yes, as an exactly. actor that's okay, a good we, way okay, of putting it okay we're on the same page yeah. so I I would say, in in a sense, his casting is interesting in this film. It's all about an actor who, from you know, always just had to look the part, who now has to sound the part. Yeah. And it's quite a funny bit in it where <laughs> yeah. he's struggling to, with that side of things, the, the delivering of the lines. Um, so he, he's he's quite good in this. Margot Robbie is the one who really breaks a sweat okay. all, all through it, and she like she really steals the show. But still, you know the, um, the 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 score is great. The the, the editing is very snazzy. It's like yeah. a whiplash style yes. editing that we saw from Chazelle before. Um, there's a ginormous cast, as I said before, that he has to sort of corral around extras playing extras, okay. that kind of thing. You know, yeah. in a field wielding swords during a, a battle scene that they're trying to shoot. Crazy Murnau style okay. director played by Spike Jones. Um, Spike so, Jones so is in it. Spike as well. Jones is in wow. it too. Yeah. Yeah. How many cameos can you fit in? Yeah. Well, there's certainly enough time to fit them in. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that true. Way, yeah. In over three hours. Now we know Hollywood love movies about movies, right? Yeah. And there it's is a, it self fetishizes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there yeah. is Oscar talk about this, but do you think the Oscar talk is going to be like it's going to be the technical stuff and the music maybe as opposed to best actors and best film I you think would imagine so I, I can't really see uh, any of the, the performative um, nominations you know you know nudging their way in okay. we're, we're you know Banshees of Nigerian and yeah. you know the Feldmans and Tar and these, it's, it's very hard to see but on a, on a technical level I think certainly it is there I think I think and there's some stuff in it which is it, it's it's staggering to look at. I mean, there's there's one scene in the third act where they go down into sort of the the, the seventh level of hell with uh, Tobey Maguire's producer and this this particularly sordid uh, orgy that they come in that they go along to. It's sort of too much of everything. It ultimately the all all these bells and whistles tend to kind of flatten the the human story at at the heart of it. Yeah, I'm sensing that. Tell yeah. me this: on route to you giving me stars, a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan from my misspent. Well, not misspent. Nothing wrong with being a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. Is Flea any good in it? Flea is good. I mean, we we've seen Flea yeah. pop up in films. He yeah. only does about one every decade. Yeah, or so. exactly. And you go, oh, there's he, Flea. He's always kind of memorable. He's completely different to say Needles and Back to the Future yeah. or some of that. But um, yeah, he is he, he is good. Plays plays a you know very sort of cold eyed, mm. diminutive studio executive who's trying to uh, you know disguise a uh, you know a, an accidental death at his gigantic orgy. So okay. I mean it's. You know, we've all been there. We've, I mean, who hasn't been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So stars for Babylon. 
Sars, I will go for two and a half with this. Okay. Um, as I said, I think it's uh, I think it's it's far too long. It's far too sprawling. It's far too self indulgent. Mm. It loses focus sort of continually. But yeah. there are there are things within it that are very memorable and very well executed. Yeah. And technically, it's quite an achievement. I if think. If only it wasn't so damn long. Mm. So that is two and a half stars for Babylon, which is on general release this weekend. Hilary White making his maiden voyage on screen time. Thank you very much. Thank you. What about you? Sorry? If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. I love that answer. Something that lasts, that means something. Something more important than life. Yes. It's written in the stars. I am a star. If I had money, I would only spend it on things that were fun, you know? Not boring things like taxes. I'm just one for everyone to party forever. A clip there from Babylon. And you heard me talking to arts journalist and Sunday independent film critic Hilary White about it. And uh, he wasn't terribly impressed. Some merit to it. But uh, two and a half stars there. Up next, The Man Who Inspired Bank of Dave on Netflix. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, releasing this week on Netflix is The Bank of Dave. After big financial institutions fail the people in a small town, a minibus dealer and seller decides to set up his own bank. Rory Kernier stars, and there's other wonderful people in it, like Phoebe de Venor from... Bridgerton and Joel Fry and even Hugh Bonneville. Rory Kinnear's character plays Dave Fishwick, who is the man behind the Bank of Dave. And I'm delighted to say that Dave himself joins me now. Dave, how are you? Fabulous. How are you, John? I'm very well. So listen, you know, I've asked people this whenever it's happened before, but the idea of a movie and an actor playing you and a movie about a part of your life or your life and times, it must be surreal and wonderful in equal measure. It's very strange. I've, I've made lots of different TV programmes and I don't necessarily like watching myself on the telly. However, it's another level when you're watching an, another person be you. Because mm. when somebody's making a biopic, John... Uh, usually you're dead. Um, but, as, <laughs> but as I told uh, Rory, I'm alive, you know, and uh, and kicking. So it is a little bit strange, definitely. You're very much alive and kicking, as I, as I can give testament to. Tell me this. I like the way it says at the start, a truish story. So we're being honest with people that certain things have been fictionalized. But that said, because I was reading all about you this morning, there is a huge amount of truth in this. And the most important piece, and I just want you to clarify this, is that you did set up your own bank that would serve the people principally of Burnley and whatever profits you made, you would and continue to give to charity. So that is irrefutable, right? We What we did is exactly this. So 10 years ago, I set up Burnley Savings and Loans. We found a way to be able to take money from the public, give the best rate of, of interest on the high street, take that money and lend it out to other people and businesses who were struggling to borrow from the high street banks and the profit we give to charity after we paid the overheads. Mm -hmm. Now, as we went along, we got into all sorts of situations where we had to adhere to lots and lots of rules, even though I was guaranteeing every single penny. 
So in 2018, I officially um, applied to be a regulated high street bank and we're going through that process. But in the meantime, we've lent out over £30 million to thousands of people and businesses across the UK and every penny of profit we've made has gone to charities after the overheads are paid. That is 100% true. Wonderful. And tell me this, you were the first person or the first group of people to do that in over 100 years, to look for permission to be a bank. Yes, I'm the first person for over 120-something years. In some cases, you can actually get it to 150, but to be on the safe side, John, (laughs) 120-something years is the last time that somebody actually got a high street regulated bank licence. So it's uh, a bit of a job for the boys. Yes. Um, There's a special room somewhere where you go and get a licence, but I haven't seen it yet. Yes, yes. So we sh- and not to give any spoilers, but despite all this money you've lent out over the years, your status as a bank is still pending, right? Yes. Even yes, though but- you're very much working like a bank and have done for a few years now. Yes, we work within the rules. Uh, we found lots of rules where we can do uh, the things that uh, that we operate with. We lend to lots of different people, personal loans, car loans, business loans, caravan loans. You know, we're just about to go into credit cards uh, and we're just about to go into mortgages. So we're we're going down that route of being a full-blown high street bank eventually. We're building a bank. We're building Mm -hmm. the first new bank in in the UK for over 120 years. Um, And what we do is we try and help as many people as possible. I've not took a single penny in wages or bonuses in the last 10 years myself. I do it purely for philanthropic uh, means. Everybody else gets paid. When the furlough all came and COVID all came, all the big banks, they all took money for furlough and they all took money off the government and they all took cash. We didn't take a single penny. We didn't ask for a penny. We didn't take a penny. We didn't furlough a single person. Mm. We carried on lending to people like nurses who were still working. We were lending to people like Amazon who needed vans to be able to deliver their Amazon products or people that were working for these delivery companies we carried on lending to. And we found a way through it without any government money proving we fit and proper people to own a financial institution. And the thing about the movie is the movie has got lots of things in it that's fun. And what I try and say to people is, is look, Superman wasn't real. You know, he can't really (laughs) fly, but it's a great movie. What we've done is we've took something that is real and we've made it better by adding some wonderful things that make it magical. Yeah. Now, you're talking to an Irish man and we've had plenty of experience with banks misbehaving uh, and my children and possibly even my children's children are going to be paying some form of tax uh, for all that happened in this country. In the movie, there was clearly anger, resentment, and I would say very justified annoyance at banks. Is, is that how you feel about standard traditional banks in the UK? Yes, I dislike the big banks with a passion um, and uh, they dislike me, you know, <laughs> but I, I don't mind that at all. When now these new bonuses have been lifted again, John, now they're looking to give out tens of millions of pounds again in bonuses. And we've got kids starving. Um, I've got a local school just around the corner from Burnley Savings and Loans there. And I got a letter from the headmistress of the primary school saying, Dave, I'm sorry, I don't need a van or a minibus, but I do need your help. Mm. We've got kids coming to school in the morning 
starving they're not eaten anything before they've arrived at school is there any chance you could buy us a big toasting machine an industrial one and some food to feed the kids so yeah. what we did is we got a link offer from the machine she wanted. We sent the money for the machine. The machine's been delivered to the school and we bought a year's supply of food. And then I've told her when that food runs out, give me a month's notice before it runs out and I'll buy another year's supply of food for her. Um, we cannot have a situation in any part of the UK where bankers' bonuses are going into tens of millions of pounds and little boys and girls are coming to school starving. Tell me this, it, it's very much a movie set and about the people of Burnley. Uh, I'm a lifelong Everton fan for my sins. So particularly <laughs> last year, I paid a lot of attention to Burnley, the football team, because of relegation battles and all that. But unfortunately for, for people like me, we don't know a huge amount about Burnley other than its football team. But it strikes me from your movie and the little, you know, I, I looked at about it this morning. It's a it's a working class place with it with a great sense of community that maybe, you know, the industrialized 50s and 60s have have somehow forgotten about it, or certainly London has. Or how do you see it? Well, I see Burnley as the centre of the universe because I've lived here all my life. Yeah. And I love the football club and I love the community. However, it, you know, it's like any other northern town, the tough places, because my father, um, he was a farm labourer um, from five o'clock in the morning through till one o'clock in the afternoon. And then at one o'clock, he'd walk down to the local mill and he'd be a tackler from two o'clock till 10 o'clock at night. And the tackler, mm -hmm. what they do is they fix the looms. So mm -hmm. he always had two jobs. Um, there was always work around John, but it was never bankers, insurance, you know, investment bankers. There were none of that. You, they were just graft. Um, and you always had to have two jobs. My mum was a weaver in the same factory. And that's all there were, really. Um, and there was it's it's a mill town. There's a lot of terraced houses. I grew up in a, a little two, two down terraced house and it only had an outside toilet. Um, mm -hmm. So I know what it's like to be very poor. Um, but we had a fantastic community. I used to play outside on the on the flags and the old cobbles, and in between the cobbles there were gas tar that used to hold the cobbles together, and that was like plasticine, and if you got a piece of glass and heated it up with the sun, you could bend it into things like plasticine, and we used to get some old wood and wheels from the local tip, and me and my brother would make an old wood go-kart with a bit of string for steering, and we had a lot of fun, um, and, I, you know, we made the best of it. Tell me this, music plays a big part in the movie. Uh, there's some great karaoke, uh, and I'm not a fan of karaoke, but it works well in the movie, I have to say. And then we have this brilliant, I was going to say cameo, but it's a bit bigger than that, by Def Leppard, uh, who have lots of Irish connections as well. Are you a big music fan? Did the movie get that right? Yes, they got that really right. Because in my documentaries, I don't know if you've seen my documentaries, John, yet, but um, in my documentaries that I made that the that the movie were based on, yeah. um, I do a lot of singing in the car. I mm -hmm. sing really badly, but I like singing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm driving along, I put the, the radio on and I sing along to the songs. And that's where the, uh, the singing in the movie comes from. I'm a massive Def Leppard fan. And um, I love rock music. And when we got in touch with Def Leppard and asked if they could take part in the movie, uh, the boys are only from Sheffield up the road yeah. from where I live. Um, and they'd heard about the Bank of Death story. Um, one of them had seen the documentary and another one had read my book. And he just said, yeah, let's make it happen. So they flew over from America and turned up here. 
um, and uh, and did the uh, the singing, and it was just amazing. And I watch Rory, who plays me on stage. I mean, Rory looks more like me than I do. Um, <laughs> and he's so brilliant at acting. And he was on the stage there with Def Leppard singing. And I was singing, but I was sort of obviously way back in the crowd singing along. Yeah. And it was just a moment in my life when I just thought, you know what? That is amazing. Yeah. And you're going to get one or two people that say, well, did it happen, Dave, you know, in the, in the, in the original documentary? No, Def Leppard didn't turn up in the documentary. But the thing is, John, they've turned up now and yeah, the movie becomes part of my life now. So mm. it has really happened. Yeah. It yeah. really is real. You know, we are really going for the bank license. Def Leppard did turn up. They did make a Hollywood movie yes. about it. And without, yeah. you know, without the documentary, without the thing it were based on, none of this would have happened. So it is real. In the end, yeah. it's just part of the journey and we're having a lot of fun doing it. And Rory, the thing is, as I talk to you now, he he has your note perfect, I think. Like, he, <laughs> he really sound like each other. He's, do you know what? He come up to the house and he knocked on the door. This is the first time I met him. And I opened the door and he said, Dave, meet Dave. And I thought, <laughs> you'll do for me. Yeah. He, he really is. I mean, he's won an Olivia for, for acting. His, his yeah. father was an amazing actor, Roy Kinnear. Um, he, he, he's just got acting going through his blood and he really does study the characters that he's, uh, that he's becoming. Yeah, no, he does it brilliantly. And, and tell me this, just uh, two more questions because I want to let you go because I know there's lots of people like me around wanting to talk to you, but you're a very articulate man and you're clearly a man who's been very successful. You know, you didn't go to university and, and, and the movie makes reference to things like not being in Eton or Oxford or any of those places. I just wonder, are you one of those people who thinks... I wish I had of, or, you know, the school of life taught me what I needed to know. Or, or what do you think about that? Cause I was very struck by your early days working and all that kind of stuff when I was reading. Yeah. About you. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm, I was 16 years old when I left school, absolutely useless, no qualifications whatsoever. And we needed the money at home. So mm. I was straight onto a building site as a builder's laborer, you know, and at 16 years old, I started off life as a builder's laborer and, Today, I'm, I'm building the first new high street bank for 120 years. So there's yeah. a story there. Sure. And that's what Netflix have picked up on. Um, but it's not where you start, John. It's where you finish. And if this movie does anything, what I'd love it to do for your listeners and, 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 and the viewers and the people watching the Netflix movie um, is think to themselves, is there something that they really want to achieve, whether they want to open a financial institution for their community? Do they want to get a new job? Do they want to uh, maybe get a promotion? Is there something that they really want to do? And if, if we can inspire people to take that first step forwards to, to make their dreams happen, that'd be amazing, John. Well, look, you certainly walk the walk and talk to talk. Finally, then, you know, I think this movie's going to be big and I'm wondering and you don't need me to tell you you're you're slightly older than me and you have your heart head firmly screwed on but I imagine there's going to be lots of offers for I don't know almost Alan Sugar style TV shows or people ask you to go dancing on the stars and all that kind of or dancing on ice I don't know or you know some reality TV show or maybe more stuff like are are you are you going to stick at what you're doing or do you think you might like to try doing some TV, more TV shows or what, I guess I'm asking you what, what the future holds for you? Well, 
to be honest, I mean, I got offered something big this morning. It's if if I, I like to make programs that make a difference to people's lives. I've yeah. been very lucky. I've been nominated for three BAFTAs. We won two. We've got a Royal Television Society award and six broadcast awards for the documentaries I've made. And I choose the ones I think is going to make a difference. Um, I look at each each offer individually on its merit, and if I think it's going to do some good, then I might have a go. But you know, I'll never be in the jungle. You know. Okay. It, <laughs> You know, uh, you know, I, I love Netflix, and if I was going to do anything, it, it might sort of lean towards Netflix. Sure. Um, they're just a very, very good, good place to to be, and they get what what it's all about. They 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 help me really find the places in Burnley to film. You know, and they got yeah. the big stars to come across and come to Burnley, and we made it real because you know when you get Phoebe flying in from Los Angeles from a massive big Bridgerton set to Burnley Market and having a chip butty with me. Um, you know, you know that uh, you're, you're going to have a lot of fun, and that's yeah. what we did. We, we we filmed it in the places it happened. Well, I'm delighted to hear you say you'll never go into the jungle. Both myself and my wife, uh, after we watched it, we said, and I hope you take this as a big compliment, it reminded us of the full Monty. Not that anyone takes their clothes off or anything like that, but no. a real, honest-to-goodness, inspiring, working-class story. And I mean that as a, as a huge compliment because the full Monty is such a fantastic film. So, Dave, a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much, John. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. The very entertaining and indeed inspirational Dave Fishwick there talking to me about his life writ large on, uh, I was going to say the big screen, it's on Netflix. It's doing very well on Netflix. At the last time of checking, it was number one in it, it on their top movies. Uh, a lovely guy. And the movie, as I say, is very much in that vein of the Full Monty, Brassed Off, Dream Horse, a movie from a couple of years ago, kind of vague. But I mean, I, I mean that as a good thing. Yes, there are kind of daft flourishes in it but Dave himself kind of admitted that but it's fun it really is fun so that is on Netflix and that was Dave Fishwick up next the director of a new Irish comedy horror comedy called Let the Wrong One In Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, we've talked a lot about movies, one on Netflix, The Bank of Dave, we've talked about Babylon, but another Irish movie, an Irish horror comedy, we don't say that often, is opening in a staggering 50 screens across Ireland. It's the intriguingly titled Let the Wrong One In, and it's a horror comedy about two brothers, Dublin brothers, uh, teenager Matt, he's forced to keep his blood-sucking older brother alive or rather undead it is the fifth feature of Connor McMahon so I can't believe I've never met him before and Connor joins me in studio now Connor how are you great listen I gather this came to you at 5am on a transatlantic flight or something like that that's exactly where it came to me it was like (laughs) end of interview (laughs) it was like a flight to New York yeah and I was like I woke up uh, or I was like, the flight was at 5am and I got the idea at about, round about midnight, shall we say. Okay. And um, I was like, I could go to sleep, get catch a few hours before the flight, or I could stay up and try and bash this thing out. Right. So I stayed up, got no sleep. And the idea was two brothers, one of whom becomes a vampire. Was that kind of the genesis of That's the idea? That's what it involved into. it. At the very beginning, it was like, wouldn't it be fun to have a vampire who's from Dublin mm. you know just just that idea kind of made me laugh you know initially and I also felt because of Bram Stoker and that kind of thing that there was a certain duty 
to have an Irish vampire movie, you know? And then actually the it was initially two friends, but then it evolved into two brothers. Yeah. And we should say, so Hilda Faye plays their mother. Yeah. One of the brothers is the black sheep kind of he's had a few issues now this sounds heavy it's not he's he's had a few issues there's this, a hen party in Transylvania a hen comes home having been bitten by a vampire so then the elder brother turns into a vampire yeah yeah exactly and he's trying to get back into the house yes in every sense of the phrase yes exactly. now there's lots of kind of uh, ha- hammer horror tropes in it I suppose right yeah, I think like there's a lot of sort of, I guess, comedy horror stuff I've probably absorbed mm. over the years. Some of it like people point out and I'm not even, I, I probably didn't consciously do it, but it's just I've watched these horror movies like, you know, the Hammer Horror stuff, uh, Evil Dead, you know, mm-hmm. early Peter Jackson Brain Dead stuff. So yes. it's all sort of, you know, uh, in there somewhere. So it, it kind of bleeds in unconsciously. Yeah. I was impressed with the fact that Anthony Head is in it. Now, people will know, well, if you're, as old as me, you'll remember from the gold blend ads, I think it was, yes. the coffee ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, to a poor kid in Dublin in the 1980s, it seemed kind of sexy, him and this woman yeah, sharing yeah. coffee. Apparently Stanley Kubrick loved those ads. Well, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, he was in Buffy, yes. famously, for a long time. Now, I, I mean, he's probably asked to do horror movies a lot and maybe horror comedies, I don't know. So, so how did you get him and how did that whole process work? Yeah, because weirdly he hadn't done a vampire thing since Buffy. So, really? Yeah. So this he said this was the first thing he did and he, he just enjoyed the script, you know? Yeah. And um but I mean he was great fun as well because he's he's still a big fan of Buffy. Like, you know, you could really like there was a, a girl on set who had a tattoo of Buffy and okay. he went home, watched that particular episode and came in so he could tell her particular anecdotes about that episode. So, you know, it was it wasn't like a off the top, you know, okay. you talk to so him Okay, so there's it. no angst about his Buffy past, okay? No, no, I think he's very proud of it, yeah. And you must have been delighted, though, when he signed on, because to me it seems you already, just, and not that the film doesn't have its own merits, but having Anthony Head in it and on board is a big selling point for it. Oh, totally. And like, I mean, once his name came up, it was like, you know, it, ha- you know, it has to be him. We have to mm. try and get him. And, you know, initially in the script, I was like, you know, the the doctor who arrives at the house, you're not supposed to know necessarily that he's come to stake vampires. But like once Anthony heads in that role, it's just like, forget about it. We all know why he's here. You know, so there there goes that twist. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. I, I possibly gave that away. Now, the two brothers are played by Carl Rice and Owen Duffy. I'm not terribly familiar with them. Tell me a bit about them because they're great in it. Yeah, like basically a few years before I shot the movie, like when back when I just initially got the idea, I decided to make a little promo video of it. Mm. And so um, so Owen just came into one of the first auditions. So I got him very early on. And then, I, I, like I said, initially it was supposed to be two friends. Right. But I couldn't find someone that kind of bounced off him. And just by accident, somebody sent Carl down, who was way too young for what I was thinking but I said you know get him in anyway and then the minute the two guys started bouncing off each other I was like oh there's something here like you Mm. know and then so then the only worry then was it took us so long to get the funding and everything together you know Carl was growing up and he was hitting the gym and he was buffing up and we had to say hey oh you know stop that you know we want you weedy for the role (laughs) be it and he's great in it by the way and he's very funny Uh, Owen Owen's the older brother Owen's the older brother I I thought he was hilarious I I really did and he does that kind of maybe it's the wrong phrase junky humour or junky vibe quite well I know he's not well he is a junkie isn't he 
yeah, I guess like, you know, he did have like drug problems, yes. you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, own kind of he could just capture that and in a comic way because yeah. it was it was one of those things it, it, it's a hard role to kind of do and mm. hit the tone right and you know I remember when he came in he was just making us laugh and also he was great at improvisation so he could you know he could improve my script basically yes. you know? okay well you sound like a very democratic uh, director who wants his script improved you don't hear that too often from directors but it seems to me that you know whatever about horror comedy but Irish horror is going through a bit of a boom time I'm thinking of things like A Hole in the Ground Extraordinary from a few years ago that was kind of a horror comedy I seem to be seeing plenty of Irish horror movies and good ones has Irish horrors time come I think so yeah because there's also um, You Are Not My Mother by Kate yeah. Dolan which is another great one and um, and I was over with this film in Frightfest in Glasgow and they were playing 10 films and four of those 10 films were Irish horror movies Wow, which is a huge amount yeah. like when you think about it so it's very Dublin-esque which is fine with me a dirty dub have you any concerns about how it might travel I'm not saying you should but yeah, I, this was a thing we talked about and, and it was something that was, it was baked in the pie from the beginning, you know what I mean? It was like, there's only one way to do this movie, uh, the Dublin, uh, you know, and do it authentically um, with the accents and because that was what made me laugh and it was also, you know, even when I was writing the script, I'd be getting the bus into town and you'd hear phrases flying around and mm. I'd go, oh, I've got to put that yeah. in the script. And it was one of those things where I think... I felt if you make something authentic, it'll somehow travel, even if people don't get all the dialogue or all the little bits. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, like we screened it the other night uh, on Monday, you know, with the cast and crew, and and it was it was the first time I think everybody got all the jokes because we had played festivals in Spain, and you know what I mean, and they yeah. got some of the humor, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it sort of reminded me. It's like, oh yeah, there's a lot more jokes than I remember, you know. Good. Well, your point is well made. If you make an authentic piece of work. It'll travel. Just look at the Banshees of, of Inisherin, exactly, which yeah, is very yeah. local and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tell me this. I saw your, I don't know which where it was in your five movies, but Stitches with, with Ross Noble. Yes. So I'm slightly familiar with your work. Where is 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 horror your thing or are you, what, what's next for you? Um, yeah, well, I know that's, more horror. <laughs> di- that, that's disappointing when you're plugging this movie and I'm asking about the next one, but I'm just wondering, is this you doing horror for the rest of your life, do you think? Well, I think, I remember Stephen King came to that, you know, after he wrote Carrie and he was kind of like, well, horror is not such a bad place to be, you know? Yeah. He, I suppose the thing with horror is there's so many subgenres and yes. so many, like, you know, you can do a straight horror, you can do a very dramatic horror, you can, it's like, for me, it's more, that's where my ideas seem to come from. Mm. You know, when I sit yeah. down, it's kind of where, what excites me. Um, that said, I've also, I mean, I have directed some drama for TV, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm yeah. open to offers for TV drama, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, but I mean, horror is definitely my First love. I realise there's an unconscious bias in what I'm saying there because it's almost like I'm saying so horror. When he when are you going to grow up to the real stuff? And I don't actually mean that. And and Stephen King's point is 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 again very well made that he was just writing stories, which is all horror yeah. is as well. They just happen to be in a, a certain type of telling. So 50 screens, that is a huge release. And I know how the movie business works a bit. They won't release it in 50 screens unless they think there's a good chance that people are going to go and see it. So there's clearly an appetite for horror and horror comedy. Yeah, I think there's a sense that um, particularly 
comedy and maybe coming out of the pandemic mm-hmm. and maybe there's a sense of like people want a good laugh, you know, or something that, you know, they can just sit back and just have a good time, you know. I think that's probably part of it. Um, and possibly the, you know, the fact that it's Irish and it's local, you know. We're talking about Let the Wrong One In. Just finally then, there was a movie from, oh, it's probably 10 years ago now called Let the Right One In. Uh, you don't have to pay any kind of fee to change the title no no I think titles you can't copyright so okay, you right. know I think we're in the clear there you know yes. I mean it was originally I had an original original title called uh, Bleeding Vampires but they said <laughs> that maybe that wouldn't travel so that was my one compromise uh, that's funny but yeah no I know what you mean that mightn't travel very well but I get what you're saying Let the Wrong One In is in a staggering 50 screens this weekend from this Friday which if I'm not mistaken is the 20th of January that's it. and it will be on release for a long time to come hopefully I was talking to its director Connor McMahon Connor the best of luck with it cool thanks a million I drive a taxi around Dublin and I've seen all sorts and this is something new (laughs) (laughs) Sheila and those hens are out there every night the vampire population is rising anyone in Dublin could be their next victim but not if I get there first Anthony Head there of Buffy and the Vampire fame and indeed Goldblend Coffee ads uh, talking or not talking acting in the movie Let the Wrong One In which is as I was at pains to point out on a very general release all over Ireland and you heard me talking there to its director Connor McMahon that is it for this week next week the Fablemans is released and I'm going to be talking to Gabriel LaBelle now you may not know who he is but he's the brilliant young actor who plays Steven Spielberg or the quasi Steven Spielberg in that movie and I'm really looking forward to that just thank Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show this week remind you that you can get in touch with me at any stage John underscore Fardy or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com thank you for listening and have a safe week ahead and we'll talk next week